welcome to the sick in bed edition of herpetological discussions <laughs> i'm homesick so i'm going to be talking about angolan pythons enjoy discussions. This is Justin Julander coming to you from my bedroom in Smithfield, Utah. <laughs> um, so uh, the uh, venerated and well-known um, podcaster and interviewer extraordinaire Eric Burke of uh, Moralia Python's radio fame um, received a book in the mail, Advances in Herpetoculture, and uh, suggested I do a podcast on one of the articles in the book. So I took his challenge on and uh, thought I'd do that with my uh, time here at home sick. So <laughs> please excuse the sniffing and the uh, froggy voice, but uh, here we go. So uh, this book was uh, published back in 1996, and uh, it's got just a wealth of cool um, articles in the book. Um, it's, you know, reasonably sized book, uh, 165 pages or so, and has some really cool articles on, on different species. Um, if, funny story, I, I was able to get the book. Uh, I had ordered Australian rep, reptiles, uh, the big fat book, I think, uh, Codger's book, and uh, one of the, I, I ordered it from my local reptile shop. Well, the shop owner kind of swindled me and took uh, the price for the newer version and and bought the older version, which was about $60 less, and pocketed the rest of the money. <laughs> so I had borrowed this book from her to read, and so I thought, well, I'll just keep that as the uh, compensation for her ripping me off 60 bucks. But um, but yeah, it's got, got really cool articles on frilled lizards and um, Argus monitors, uh, Drakensberg, crag lizards, uh, uh, just a bunch of different stuff. So I, you know, it's kind of hard to get your hands on, but it's a really cool book. So today we're going to be talking about uh, Angolan pythons or dwarf pythons, as they're often referred to. Um, one of the funny things in the article it talks about they're they're not widely distributed through Angola and they're mo mainly found in Namibia. So um, maybe the uh, name Angolan python is a little misleading. They have a much broader distribution in Namibia. Uh, Namibia is kind of a cool place, but they're really strict in their wildlife exports, so maybe that's part of it, that a lot of these uh, animals that are in the uh, trade today maybe came from Angola. <laughs> uh, although Angola's kind of been ripped by a civil war for the last couple decades, so um, that might have been difficult, although there were times... In, the 90s or uh, early 2000s when that might have been the case. Anyway, these uh, this article talks about a survey that they did at different farms uh, throughout Angola, and they asked for help from the locals to report um, the presence of these snakes throughout the country. And uh, actually, they got really good results and a lot of um, data and input from 
from the locals. I think a uh, total of 2,100 more uh, occurrences of the African rock python in the country and uh, 1,892 for the uh, dwarf or Angolan pythons throughout the country. So um, very, very interesting. They show a nice range map of the of the an expanded range of the um, natal rock python, uh, Python sebe natalensis, and uh, its distribution across the southern part of Africa. Um, quite a quite an extensive range, much more so than the Angolan python, um, and it's kind of interesting that the with the size of Africa, there's only uh, three different species of python on the continent, but. Um, I guess that's the case. So, African rock pythons, uh, Angolan pythons, and ball pythons. But um, so, in this uh, survey that they sent out, initially they had um, idea that the dwarf python or Angolan python was very rare in the country, and uh, that they should be put on the endangered species list or CITES one listed. Um, because of the rarity of the snake. But through this survey, they actually discovered that they're a lot more widely distributed than previously known, and that they were in greater numbers than previously expected. Um, one of the things with these snakes is that they uh, associate with pretty rugged habitat, through, so rocky areas that are not really uh, conducive to agriculture or other things, so they're somewhat protected by the areas they choose to live in. I find this interesting too because the scales of the uh, Angolan pythons are, are beaded. They have a little raised, uh, almost like a drop on each scale, a little bump on each scale. And uh, they, they have a really cool feel to them, kind of a rough. And it's some, somewhat similar to the rough scale python, I guess, or any other snake with kind of keeled scales or raised bumps, but almost a little smoother because of the, the round uh, bump on the scale. So. They have a really neat feel to them, really uh, like a beaded feel, I guess. So, um, but you know, this this is kind of a common theme in in Saxicolis, uh, pythons that live in in rocky areas that maybe to avoid wear and tear on their scales, they have developed these um, you know additional keratinizations on the scales to protect themselves in these habitats. Eh, kind of an interesting side note here but they, they don't really talk about that in the article but um, so they come from nice rocky areas um, and also are associated with uh, springs so if there's a spring and, and interestingly that they, they kind of there's a, a, a tradition I guess among the people in in Namibia that their spring health is directly dependent on the health of the snakes so they don't kill uh, the dwarf pythons. They'll they'll kill uh, rock python and, and uh, do do away with those because they're known to eat livestock and things. But they don't kill the uh, Angolan pythons because they're seen as uh, an indicator of the health of their wells. And so I thought that was interesting. That's kind of helped keep them uh, alive. Um, they also find uh, birds in the diet. Some one individual was even found with bird feathers kind of stuck to its mouth and. Um, kind of an interesting observation there. So they, they may be bird specialists, especially near these um, wells, uh, sources of water. As the birds come in to drink, they'll grab one and, and eat it. 
Um, this this would also indicate, as as um, discussed in the article, that uh, that they are diurnally active, uh, as these the bird species that were found in the diet are diurnally active birds. Um, one one for example was the Namaqua dove. That was the the feathers that were stuck to the snake's mouth. So um, so they may be somewhat uh, bird specialists. Uh, I, I imagine their diet is a little wider than that. They have also been known to feed on gerbils and probably other mammals throughout their range. So they probably have a little bit more of a Catholic diet than, than uh, maybe a bird specialist would, would suggest. But So, yeah, something interesting to think about there. Uh, so in keeping them in captivity, it might help to have some uh, bird feathers handy to help uh, with them. E even though in captivity they're pretty robust, they, they feed pretty well on mammals, uh, the laboratory rodents and things. Um, my business partner Ben Morrill kept them for. Uh, I think he still keeps them as well. But they're they're a really cool species, and he he bred them a few times. Followed similar you know breeding regimens to ball pythons and other python species. So didn't really require much specialized uh, care, but just a neat neat species. Um, then they kind of launch in uh, after they talk a little bit about the natural history of the pythons. Uh, in, incidentally, that's my favorite kind of stuff. I love the natural history um, information and that kind of paints a nice picture of the, the snake in the wild and that's what I like to see and kind of the focus. Uh, incidentally, I just uh, finished a, a book along with uh, Terry Phillip on green tree pythons and, and you know, kind of the main focus of that book is the natural history kind of taking from the scientific literature and uh, um, you know discussing its relationship with maybe how we keep them in captivity and, and what they are and do in the wild. So I really like uh, reading about reptiles in general in the, in the wild and what their natural history entails. So uh, I found it really um, interesting to read about the uh, natural history of the Angolan pythons. Then they talk about uh, largely about um, illicit trade and captive breeding programs that have been set up in the country um, in Angola. Uh, I don't know that anywhere in, in Angola, maybe just in South Africa, and then throughout the world, some in the United States at different zoos, and uh, and kind of the discussions on their uh, trade in the legal trade or otherwise um, in in herpetology, herpetoculture, um, however you want to see that. So uh, you know, it's got a little bit of a bent on um, the the impact of illegal trade and things like that, but they do admit that only, you know, a handful maybe leave the country each year, which probably wouldn't impact um, wild populations very much. Um, it's it's always kind of a double-edged sword. I, I believe that conservation of animals in, their, in the wild is very important, especially in regards to the habitat that they require and the areas that they need to live in, um, you know, different wildlife preserves and things like that are important in my mind and uh, it's very difficult to save a species if you destroy the habitat and we see that in various areas like uh, Indonesia or or in uh, um, different areas of the world Madagascar is a great example uh, a lot of the natural um, forests and, and habitat have been uh, removed for farming and uh, managing of livestock and things and and we see a disappearance of the native wildlife and you know you can't blame the people they're just trying to feed themselves and their families uh, but uh, 
you know, it's it's difficult to see. I guess we did similar things here in the United States as well, but can't point the finger too hard. But it's it's important to uh, conserve things in the wild. But I, I really don't think the uh, the um, you know, herpetoculture is is having a pretty any any kind of serious impact on uh, the Angolan population, Angolan python populations in the wild. Um, so. That's uh, just my uh, unwarranted two cents, I suppose. But an interesting article. Uh, I rec- recommend the read. It's Pythons in Namibia Distribution, Conservation, and Captive Breeding Programs. That's the title of the article. I guess I should mention that at first. And the authors are William R. Branch from the Port Elizabeth Museum in South Africa and Mike Griffin, the Directorate of Wildlife Conservation and Research in Namibia. So two uh, boots on the grounds guys that have been in their habitat have seen them in the wild and uh, report on some of the things that they feel are important in regard to the uh, these pythons so well hope you enjoyed it and uh, we'll see you later for another edition of herpetological discussions <laughs>